Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello! Trojan fans, welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Wednesday. We're going to preview USC and California, second road trip in a row for the Trojans taking on the California Golden Bears. Had a four-game losing streak, but came back a really impressive win after their bye week, uh, beating the Washington State Cougars 33-20. to So we're going to talk to Jackson Moore. Does a great job publishing BearTerritory.net right here on the 24-7 Sports Networks. We'll talk to him in the first segment. And then after that, I will go through a lot of your questions. You guys have sent in a ton of questions this week, talking about the team, the future of the program, the last couple of games, all that. So I'll do my best to answer all of those. If you have any questions or comments for us, as always, you can email us, podcast at uscfootball.com. Keep those emails coming. They're great. We love them. You can also call or text us. Keep the voicemails coming. Keep the text coming. The number to do that is 424 254-9141. That's the number. Leave us a voicemail. Send us a text. We'll try to get to each and every one of them. We got some voicemails later in the program. We got some texts. We got some emails. We got lots of comments from all of you, so I'll do my best to answer those solo. Don't forget, you can uh, listen to our Peristyle pregame show Fridays at midnight. We'll have part of the interview with Jackson Moore that you'll hear today on Fridays at midnight, KABC. Here in Los Angeles, 7.90 a.m. on your dial. So it's right at game day starts, right at midnight. You can listen to that. And they'll also be on the KABC website. And we'll put it up here on the Peristyle Podcast platform. Wherever you get your podcasts, you can listen to that. So lots of podcasts every week. You get a lot of content from us. So I hope you guys are enjoying it. But this is our traditional preview show. And we got a preview, USC and Cal. Let's bring in Jackson Moore. He's the publisher of BearTerritory.net. He covers California football, basketball, recruiting all here on the 24-7 Sports Network. How you doing, Jackson? I'm doing well, Ryan. How are you? Doing all right. Thanks again for uh, coming on the show. We wanted to preview, of course, this USC-Cal game. Four-game losing streak for the Golden Bears. But, man, after that bye week, looked like a different team to me, uh, Jackson. What do you think the big biggest difference was in that big win over Washington State? Yeah, I think a big part of it was just being healthy. I mean, they just had a bye week uh, three weeks before that. And when they came out, they thought you know, it was right in the middle of that four-game skid. They thought the bye week was going to help everything. Instead, they come out and lose to Oregon State by four points. That was probably the home game. They probably expected the, one of the few at the beginning of the year they could absolutely circle as a win, and it went the other way. And then things went from bad to worse the following week, uh, losing 35-0 at Utah. Didn't even get 100 yards of offense. It was terrible. Uh, but they were down to their third-string quarterback, Spencer Brash. And uh, fortunately for Cal, they got a little bit healthier. They got some of their offensive line back and ready to go in that last bye week. They got backup quarterback Devin Monster back. And you know, they just overall, they looked much more competent on offense. It didn't take a, a whole lot of pieces, but they were very critical pieces. And that helped them look like a very different team last weekend. Yeah, it did look like a different team. Even when you saw Monster play before, it just wasn't that effective. 41 points in that four-game losing streak total, which is crazy. <laughs> then 33 against Washington State. For Monster, at least, what was the difference for him? Yeah. Yeah, you know, he showed signs against Oregon State. It was a different kind of style of the game just because you know, they weren't like Washington State who threw it almost 60 times. I think the flow of that game kind of just played the way that it did. This one was a little more open, a little sloppier. And the biggest thing, I think, for Cal was their offense did just enough to keep their defense spirited. I mean, this is a really good Cal defense, but against Utah when the offense was doing nothing for them, uh, you could tell the team it seemed like they kind of packed it in against Utah. That's the only game they played all year. That hasn't been uh, remotely close, whether it be a win or loss. And so this game against Washington State, Monster really took over. He was able to, I mean, against Oregon State, he had decent numbers. He had to basically carry the running game by himself. He didn't get much help in the run. And I think that's where the O-line kind of kicked into things here. Getting center Mike Safel back kind of opened the way for Chris Brown to run for almost 100 yards against Washington State. So just overall, I think it's kind of a domino effect from having just a few guys back, really. 
I made some jokes uh, that Chase Garber should be the MVP of the league because with him, they're 4-0. Without him, it was just a mess. He was now medically cleared for this game, but it's good. it sounds like there's going to be like a competition this week. We might not know until game time. Yeah, and that's you know, I'm not exactly sure what they're doing there. I know if Garbers is 100%, he's the team's guy. Um, I mean, especially the way that he closed out his play before he got hurt. Big game at Ole Miss, uh, 357 yards, believe it through four touchdowns. I mean, he was great. That's as good as we've ever seen him against Ole Miss. And then against Arizona State as well, the following week, uh, the first half that he played was pretty solid football. Uh, had he played the whole game, I think the Bears would have come out of there with a win and said they fell by seven without him. You know, even though Monster comes off a pretty good game, I think it's a matter of Garbers is cleared, but is he the same Garbers he was before the injury? And I think that's what's going to determine who starts this one. Uh, I think Monster did enough this past weekend to get some confidence from the team. And if Garbers just isn't the same guy that he was before, they can just go with Monster and keep it rolling. The uh, quarterback play gets a lot of talk, but also you want to talk about the running backs, uh, Christopher Brown Jr. He's kind of emerged as the lead back. What are his strengths? It seems like he's playing better now, too. Yeah, he's a guy that they can just kind of feed the rock and run between the tackles as many times as they need to. He's your, you know, you're kind of your workhorse, power, more of a balance, I guess, of a runner, getting four yards a carry for the season, even though they've had some rough games running the ball with all the O-line injuries they've suffered. Looks like they're healthy enough now to get him going again. Much better against Washington State, who, albeit, is not the best against the run. Um, aside from Brown, though, they do have Marcel Dancy, who's a change of pace back. He's Going to touch the ball about a third of the time that Brown does, but it's pretty effective as well in his own right. They've also mixed in Deshaun Collins a little bit more the last couple of games. Definitely the the first two are basically your one-two punch, and then they work in the quarterback run as well. Cal's on the season, one of the worst teams in the country at protecting the quarterback. Uh, You know, maybe talk about some of the offensive line injuries like you mentioned, but also they give up a lot of tackles for loss. Do you think the Garbers injury kind of played into that, or is it really a combination of things with the injuries on the offensive line too? Yeah, I think it's mostly on the offensive line because – you know, Garbers was doing a really good job, partially of that. He was doing a really good job moving with his legs when the offensive line was breaking down during those first few games. I think he made some plays that would have been tackles behind the line of scrimmage for positive yards instead. But it's been a really rough go. In fact, I think the, the only confident thing Cal really had going on offense into the season was uh, the fact that they had a pretty experienced offensive line. Uh, basically wide receiver, tight end, running back, all new guys this year, relatively. And then with Chase Garbers as well, he wasn't exactly proven coming into the season. You know, within the first couple of games, even before the season, they lost several guys. Uh, Will Craig, who was supposed to be their starting left tackle, out. Gentle Williams, offensive lineman on the interior, out for the year. I mean, those hit pretty quick. And then it seemed like the remaining starters that they had have been in and out of the lineup all season long. So it's been a really rough go. They've seen at times they've had just enough guys to keep the offense competent and at other times uh, not nearly enough talent to even move the ball remotely. But it seems like they're out of place right now as long as they don't suffer any hiccups against USC that they've got enough to work with at the moment. The On the defensive side of the ball, Tim DeRuiter, someone we're both familiar with. If you guys don't know, <laughs> Jackson and I both covered Fresno State for a while. Uh, Jackson still does, doing a great job there at the, the bark board. But former head coach Tim DeRuiter had this off this defense really rolling. Maybe, I don't know, what, how would you say overall this defense has played this year? Because the expectations for the defense were sky high for 2019. Yeah, you know, I think this defense is still pretty solid, but maybe below expectations. They've had some games that they didn't anticipate going into the season of course 35 points against utah i mean the top 10 utah but still they've got a lot better expectations for themselves um you know a little bit new to covering cal but i was really surprised they lost that game to arizona state 24 17 and you know justin wilcox was livid evan weaver the star linebacker livid they were so disappointed and disgusted with the way they played defense and for a lot of teams out there, 24 points allowed is still a pretty solid night. So it kind of shows that what they expect from that group. The takers, the defensive backfield, as they're known, um, they were came into the, the season with some you know, national recognition. Some called them the best in the nation. Some called them the best secondary in the West. They've Even though they've just about every week, it seems like they haven't caught a break with a star quarterback on the other side of the ball. They've relatively done a good job, but statistically, they're not as well as you would think they were hyped up to be at the beginning of the year. I think the real downfall in this D-line is the, at the or on the defense is the D-line. Uh, it's only a 3-4 defense, but they've suffered some injuries there. They've had players that they anticipated that never even participated, participated in fall camp. So it kind of starts up front, and that's been probably the one deficient part of the defense. 
Uh, they've had some outside linebackers, which sometimes play as de facto edge rushers in this 3-4 defense as well. They've been in and out, so the injury bugs caught the defense a little bit as well. The middle linebackers, the defensive secondary, uh, it's as good as Cal's is likely to see for some time. Yeah, Evan Weaver, you mentioned, if you get the Pac-12 network, make sure you watch all the interviews with him. Just a fiery guy, <laughs> seems like a coach. Averaging over 15 tackles a game, he leads the Pac-12, he leads the nation. What makes him such a special player? Yeah, I mean, he's really awesome to cover. Uh, probably one of the best linebackers I've seen <laughs> that I can remember covering. Uh, he just looks like this old school, big, bulky, hard hitting linebacker, but he moves like a, a speed, almost like a defensive back at times. He covers a lot of ground. You know, um, earlier in the season, the, they went through four games that were fairly close with their 4 0 start. Against North Texas, he makes a pass breakup that wins the game. He knocks out the receiver. The following week against Ole Miss, he makes a goal line stop. He hits the quarterback right before the goal line. So I think those two moments kind of show uh, the variety of play that he can bring and the types of plays that he can make in big-time situations. And you know, overall, just a hard hitter because he's got good pursuit to the ball. And it's just, I mean, he rarely ever misses on a play. It's pretty spectacular to watch. You mentioned the Cal secondary. Supposed to be elite coming into the season. Only four picks after 21 interceptions last year. And if I'm not mistaken – Six starters returned or six guys came back in the <laughs> secondary. What do you think the biggest issue there? Because it still seems like the players are good. Yeah, you know, um, the interception is probably the thing that surprises me the most. They haven't had many, obviously, and that was something they've really prided themselves on up to this point. I mean, it's a lot of the same guys, as you mentioned. Um, at the same time, uh, as I was talking earlier, it's been seems like it's been a phenomenal quarterback every week that they've played. Even games against UC Davis and North Texas, you're talking about Jake Mayer, the FCS All-American quarterback for Davis and um, North Texas, as well as Mason Fine, who they were trying to get a Heisman campaign going for at the beginning of the year. I mean, some of their most favorable matchups, you're talking about Jaden Daniels at Arizona State, a four-star freshman. Ole Miss had a couple four-star freshmen as well. It just seems like every week they're going up against, uh, they, they don't ever have a very favorable matchup where they can just take advantage and and take care of a weak quarterback. It's been top of the notch, it seems, every week. And uh, as the Pac-12 knows, there's a lot of good quarterbacks in it this season. You talked about some of the, the issues as far as injuries go on the defensive line. How do you think the pass rush has been and, and stopping the run so far this year uh, for the Golden Bears? Yeah, you know, it just seems like it's been decent. Um, uh, there's some of the games where, like Arizona State, give up 24 in a loss. Oregon State, give up 21 in a loss. They felt like... A lot of that was lost in the, the trenches and the box there, just failure to finish tackles to get the right pressure that they needed. You know, but they, when they are rolling, it does let the, the back seven or back eight at times even uh, do what they want to do. Um, they've got alongside Weaver, they've got a six foot six, four star junior college transfer, Kwani Dang. Uh, he's really messed very well with this defense and made things even easier for Weaver. Uh, but again, starts with the D-line, and seems like that's the one spot where they don't quite have the next-level talent that they have elsewhere. Any uh, standouts on the special team squads? Um, you know, they they definitely have speed uh, and athleticism, and part of it comes from that group of takers. You're talking about uh, Ashton Davis and Jalen Hawkins, those are two guys that the safeties, but, I mean, they've got, like, track speed. They've got the ability to return, whether it be interceptions or kicks back. So uh, they do have some of that to them, but it hasn't quite been as big of a factor this season. And last thing, how do you think this game's going to go up in Berkeley? Cal's hopeful, at least. <laughs> it wasn't the same kind of feeling that they had after uh, the first last four losses. It seemed like the season was just about down the toilet. <laughs> it was uh, about as ugly as it has, had been for quite some time. But all of a sudden, against Washington State, they look kind of like the, the same team that they were the first four games. You know, especially if Garbers can, can get healthy and play and be as effective as he was towards the beginning of the year. I think Cal may have a real shot. You know, it's still, you don't quite know with this Golden Bear team. USC is going to be a lot tougher than Washington State was. Uh, I think if they won, it would be a bit of a surprise, especially considering the line. But um, it is going to be senior day. It's going to be uh, the Joe Roth day. They're going to break out the old school uniforms and should be one of the better environments they have at Berkeley this season. So there's a few things going their way. Um, it's just quite hard to tell if last week was maybe a fluke or if they're really for real again. All right, Jackson does a great job covering the California Golden Bears for BearTerritory.net. Make sure you check out his stuff. Thanks, Jackson. Thank you for having me, Ryan. Great stuff from Jackson Moore. We're going to take a quick break, come back, answer all of your questions.
Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. All right, we're back here on the Parastyle Podcast. Going to answer your questions. But first, I got to tell you about my bookie because during Thanksgiving week, my bookie is offering a risk-free bet. That's a risk-free bet on the Bears-Lions game. NFL game, what you do is you bet one of the teams. You pick the Bears, you pick the Lions. against the spread up to 250 bucks. And if you win, boom, extra holiday spending money. If you lose, congratulations. You get your money back. It is a no-brainer. You literally cannot lose this bet. So it's crazy. It's only on the Bears-Lions game. It's only at my bookie. It's no risk and all gravy. So if you you know have some questions, don't sweat it. You can go to their my bookie's customer service team. They'll walk you through the process. The best part is if you join this Thanksgiving week, you'll still have one last shot to take advantage of their incredible sign-up offer. So if you log into mybookie.ag, Make your first deposit with the promo code Peristyle. That's promo code Peristyle. My bookie is also going to match your deposit dollar for dollar. So that'll get you a jump start in your bankroll. And that's all on top of your risk free bet. So great stuff. You get matched deposits plus a bet that you cannot lose. So make sure you go to mybookie.ag, promo code Peristyle. Check it out. They do a great job there. You play, you win, you get paid at my bookie. All right, let's jump into some of these questions because, you know, you guys sent in a lot of stuff. I'm curious to see what everyone has on their mind. There's some game stuff. There's a lot of future of the program stuff, so I'll do my best to answer all those. We'll start with Don. He said, um, does 28 points in the first quarter and three in the last three quarters qualify as finishing strong? Please explain why Keaton Slovis is considered such a great quarterback. Stats are misleading. Terrible decisions and throw and throws on that interception that was brought back. I missed the post game interview. Is Hel- Helton still staying while we are playing for championships? Uh, Don, uh, no, yeah, uh, a point a quarter in the last three certainly uh, not ideal. Uh, but I would, I, I think you're a little harsh on Keaton Slovis. I think he's played well. Uh, he's played great at times. I mean, that was his first quarter was the greatest first quarter in college football by any quarterback over the last 15 years. I think that was a Kyle Bonagora tweet. So no one's had a better first quarter than him. 15 of 17, 297 yards and four touchdowns. So that was a great quarter. I put a lot more of that on the coaching side than I'm saying it's a a Keaton Slovis problem. I mean, he didn't have any problems in that first quarter. Um, But, you know, USC gets these hot starts and then fails to finish. So I think there's some Definite issues there. Let's see. We got Steven in Southern Duck Country. So down south in Oregon. He says, uh, what the blank was up with the squib kick to open the second half? And going forward on fourth and seven later in the fourth and the third quarter, who coaches like that? Uh, Steve in Southern Duck Country. Try to recall the specific fourth and seven. I'm usually, you know, you're okay going for it uh, in a lot of those situations. I'm not a big proponent of, oh, you should always punt. You know, I, I you know, I, I don't remember it specifically. I, I definitely wasn't something egregious that stuck out in my mind. Um, it's been a couple of days since I rewatched the game, but as far as the squib kicks go, uh, Clay Helton told John Baxter to start squibbing it because they had given up uh, some long punt returns, including that 97 yarder. Um, it would do it really have a, a hard time stopping Brandon Ayuk. So uh, they, you know, Clay Helton told John Baxter, just squib it. But they didn't execute those really well either. I think you can execute kickoff, you know, kickoffs way better than what USC did. It wasn't just that they were squibbing; it was just there was a lot of, uh, uh, I guess, a lot of issues. All right, let's uh, play a voicemail for you, Ryan. Guy in Lake Balboa. I'm sorry I was long last time. This time, after hearing this the show today with Coach Hyde, it is. An emergency. Something has to be done quickly. I'm, I'm really scared. I'm scared. If if we don't act now, we're really going to be in trouble. We have to quickly make a decision on the firing of Clay Helton 
paving the way for the hiring of Urban Meyer quickly. We can't wait. If we wait, we're really in in very bad in the future, very bad shape. Sorry to um, be this way, but that's the way it is. Fight on. All right. Thanks for the email. I'm sorry. Thanks for the voicemail. That's not an email. That was a voicemail. Um, been a long day already. So, yes, USC does have to make a decision quickly. It looks like they are. I mean, I was at the uh, USC basketball game on Tuesday night and had a chance. Actually, well, I'll read you Andrew uh, in West LA's email. He said, uh, Ryan, I saw you sitting courtside with Mike Bone on Tuesday. Are you feeling more optimistic about the future? Fight on from Andrew. Thanks, Andrew. So, yeah, so got to talk with a lot of people that work in the USC athletic department when I was there, including uh, the number the number one and number two guys, Mike Bone and uh, Steve Lopes. Um, I had not – I didn't get to talk one-on-one with Mike Bone at the press conference, so I wanted to meet him at the basketball game. I was down on the floor talking with another one of the athletic directors there, and when Mike Bone came in to sit down, there was a space between him and Steve Lopes. I just went over to tap him on the shoulder and introduce myself. And Mike Bone was like, come sit down. I'm like, okay. So I sat down next to Mike Bone and uh, between Bone and Steve Lopes. And, was, you know, I know Steve pretty well, so we were just chatting. But, you know, Mike was the, it was the first time I got to talk to him. And he was ans- asking some interesting questions and just kind of asking about me and about the site and things like that. And, uh, you know, and also about the teams and, you know, he asked if like Drake London was out there. He's like, is a football player out there playing? It's like, no, is that number 15? Like, well, he's number 15 on the uh, football team, but he's not on the basketball team. He was at practice. He's not um, suiting up right now. He won't, you know, join until after the football season and stuff like that. So there were some interesting conversations we had. Um, I'll put some, you know, some of the stuff we'll put in the war room uh, on Friday at uscfootball.com. Make sure you check that out every week. But yeah, I think from talking to the people that work there, and uh, talking with Mike Bone, who also addressed uh, the Founders Room. So there was a bunch of boosters, you know, basketball supporters in the Founders Room. He answered a bunch of their questions as well um, there, Mike Bone did. So I, I feel like you should be a little bit more optimistic. As far as timing goes, could uh, Carol Fold have moved a little faster when she took over? I mean, I think there was a lot for her to take in. I'm glad she made the move uh you know, against, you know, for Lynn Swan to get him out of there and force him out. I mean, obviously he was terrible at his job. USC needed a real athletic director. There was just, I don't think anybody doubted that. Could she have done a little faster? I guess. But like, it was one of those things where she had to get her ducks in a row and she did. And, you know, there was, I thought the search was good. Um, You know, there were definitely some bigger names and I think it was going to be tougher to bring in a huge name as USC's athletic director but they end up getting somebody in Mike Bone that was like, you know, if they're not their first choice, like their second choice, just from talking to him. And I get why, because he's got tons of energy. Um, a, a friend of mine who, who met him was said he's like, he's like a guy's guy personality. And I, I, I think that's right. Um, just talking to him, he, uh, he just seems like a no nonsense, no bullcrap kind of guy. And for him to go to the media pen and introduce himself to everybody to just tell me, you know, not really, you know, he kind of found out that, you know, I've been doing this a long time and our site's really big and everything, but he didn't know that when he invited me to sit down. And then I was actually going to get up after a few minutes. I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll let you go. And he's like, no, stay. So I'm sitting there courtside at the basketball game for pretty much the whole first half with, uh, you know, the two top guys in the athletic department. And Lin Swan would have never, I mean, I met Lin Swan like five, six times. You know, he was my idol growing up. He never would remember my name. He didn't know. He, he didn't care about that stuff. That was, he was just, it's just like the exact opposite. So I think Mike Bone won the press conference. I think he's winning people over. He's doing what he said about listening and learning uh, and then leading. And I feel like he knows, I didn't talk about this specifically, but I think he knows the, the straits that they're in. If you see any of his tweets, every reply to his tweet is about, getting rid of Clay Helton and, and bringing in Urban Meyer. They, they're they aware of this. Like, it's not like, I feel like some of the other athletic department, you know, t- structures would have been tone deaf to what the fans want. These guys are not. Um, I don't think they're going to ignore it. They're not uh, ignoring what's being said. 
I think they're going to try to deliver, um, but they also know, I mean, there's some limitations too, but I think it's a different beast now that they are going to try and bring in, make a huge splash. So that's my gut feeling from it. So I think you guys can be a little bit more optimistic. I think they know they have to go fast because of the early signing period. Uh, but this is going to be, you know, Mike Bones got some time, you know, he's got these like two weeks to figure out what's going on, the lay of the land. And that's what he's doing. I mean, he's figuring out the lay of the land. He's talking to anyone he could talk to. Uh, I believe he, you know, uh, he was going to meet with Brian Kennedy, one of the big boosters, uh, you know, his name is on the, um, the uh, practice field at USC next to Howard Jones. It's Brian Kennedy field. Not the, I, I, I don't know if you want to call him a disgruntled booster, but not someone that's been really happy uh, with the situation going on there. And, you know, Mike Bone was going to go chat with him too. So it was, he's doing his work. And I think that's all you can ask. Um, it's a tough spot that USC's in because of all the poor leadership decisions from the past. But, you know, here you are. And he's going to, he's making a run at it. So I, I would say, you know, be a little more optimistic. I think Dan Weber was kind of pessimistic about the hire, talked with him for a while and is all in. And Dan came over and chatted with us a little bit while we were sitting there. Um, and, you know, and Mike remembered that Dan was from Cincinnati. We talked about that too. So uh, I, I like him. My first interaction with him was all positive. I mean, the fact that he just had me sitting down there, everyone keeps coming up to me like, you're sitting courtside with the athletic director. I'm like, I don't know. I just asked to, to say hi. And he invited me to sit down. So um, if you see him, like say you go to a women's volleyball game or soccer game or something, and he's there, do not hesitate to go. Hey, hello. I'm, I'm Joe Smith. I'm a big USC fan. Uh, welcome to the program. I mean, he, he will talk to you. So good stuff there. Sorry. That was a long answer, but, uh, there's a long question. Uh, Frank, uh, let's see. He says, coach O, please come home. Hey gang, like the show. Uh, can we give some love to coach? O? I couldn't be any happier and jealous at the same time to see Coach O absolutely dominate Alabama at Bryant-Denny Stadium in the fashion that Pete Carroll and gang used to do of yesteryear. For Pat Hayden to pass on Coach Orgeron because he wasn't a, quote, country club type is absolutely sickening. Uh, I really doubt Urban is coming and would love if Coach O was given a call. Um, I truly think he would come back home, but I doubt that would happen. We always have to be about the moment and not with what's best. I guess what scares me most is the fact that uh, I don't have the confidence in the new athletic director or president will make changes this year. I truly believe there's a possibility Clay Helton will come back, uh, do the quote, he's a yes guy, and uh, will con his way into another year and make no staff changes. Uh, they're forcing me to play freshman, uh, scaring off away top recruits. It's not my fault. Uh, it's the one-armed man. Thanks for the great work. Uh Embarrassed alum on Mondays at work, September through December. Oh, wait, January, maybe. Nah, who am I kidding? Cheese a pole, here we come. Frank of Irvine, California, class of 04. Hey, Frank. Uh, okay, a couple of things in that. One, USC's not going to the Cheese It Bowl. And uh, the Rain of Troy people pointed this out when I was listening to their podcast today. USC has the third best Pac 12 record right now. So, uh, five and two, only behind Oregon and, uh, in Utah. So it would take a lot for USC to drop much further. And the cheese it bowl is pretty far down there. I, oh, if as you guys know, I hate bowl projections and predict all that stuff. It's meaningless to me because there's like all a million things that could happen. But right now USC is closer to the top than the cheese it bowl. So the Alamo bowl seems to be more of a distinct possibility. So I wouldn't worry about that. Uh, I wouldn't worry about USC bringing back Clay Helton. I mean, I guess there's a, a slight possibility, but nothing that you should worry about. If that happens, I'm going on a long vacation. So, I mean, it, you're not going to be alone. It'll be it'll be apocalyptic in the USC fan base if something like that happens. So I wouldn't say it's not a 50-50 thing for sure. As far as Coach O goes, USC has a much, 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 much higher chance of hiring Ed, uh, Urban Meyer than Coach O. And uh, Coach O is awesome. You're right. Pat Hayden screwed that up royally. Some people are still saying that was the right decision, and I that I just tell them they're wrong on Twitter all day. But yeah, I I agree with you 100. Um, percent He's at his dream job. I think he had two dream jobs and was like just completely crushed by one of them. He was crushed that USC didn't bring him back. And it, Bruce Feldman did an amazing story on him. You should check it out on the Athletic. Um, but he's at his dream job now. He's home. He's not going anywhere. You're not luring him away 
from LSU. They might win the national championship this year. His quarterback's probably going to win the Heisman. So he's in an amazing spot. I'm not saying he would get, you know, he would win a national championship if he came, if he stayed at USC, but USC would have been so much better off. And I think they could have built something great with Ed Orgeron. And so, yeah, really happy to see him uh, do well there. So thanks for that one. Let's go Brett in, uh, this is Brett in Utah. Hey guys, Brett from Utah. Uh, if we already know the outcome of the coaching situation, why are they delaying the inevitable? I understand Mike Bone is, is new on the job, but as an experienced AD, he has to understand that every major school has one breadwinner sport that funds the whole athletic department. And he has to know at USC that sport is football. I admire the fact that he is waiting to see, uh, to be seen everywhere and is concerned about all sports, but shouldn't his main focus from day one be uh, on the breadwinner sport? Without a successful football program, all of the other sports suffer. He has a very small window of opportunity to turn this disaster around, and whether he hires Urban Meyer or not, uh, firing Helton now at least shows the recruits and any interested coaches the direction of the program. Your thoughts? Love the show. Brett from Utah. Brett, we kind of talked about this, but I get it. I mean, I think there was a some percent chance that he could have walked into the early presser when he was introduced and said, we're, we know we're going to change direction. You know, we love Clay Helton, going to change the direction of the program. Um, and he's going, he can, you know, coach out the rest of the year, but we're going to move on after that. There, I think there was a possibility, but I think the smart thing to do is what he's doing. And I don't think it's going to take much time. My guess here after the UCLA game, that a change is going to be made. Um, I just, that's, that's my thought. Now, USC's done some weird stuff before. I think he knows it's the breadwinner sport. I think he knows he has to fix that. Um, he asked me a couple of football questions when I was sitting there courtside with him, some interesting stuff, um, that concerned him. So make sure you check out the war room, but yeah, it's, uh, I, I know everyone wants something to happen now and, and it should have, but it, the problem is USC screwed up on the coaching side and on the athletic department side at the same time. So you needed to get the first one fixed. I think they got that fixed. And now you have to give them a little bit of time to do this. Now, if it's like two weeks after the UCLA game, and I mean, I'm talking, okay, two days after the UCLA game, say it's Monday and we haven't heard anything, I would, then I, that's when I would start to be concerned. Um, but until then, I wouldn't worry. That's, that's my kind of understanding. Uh, as a, as it is now, this one, I think this was an email, Ryan, how about, uh, it says Amanda. So I think he means Dave Aranda, the defensive coordinator for LSU is a possible head coach. SC is too soft. Change of culture is needed. Uh, athletic director, Mike bone has been associated with tough programs. Meyer still number one, but if not, um, yeah. Okay. Uh, so it's, it's not Amanda, it's Aranda and he's like best defensive coordinator. One of them in the country. And no, that's a terrible idea. USC can't get a inexperienced head coach. Again, you can't get a coordinator. You can't get someone that's never been a head coach to replace someone that's never been a head coach. USC is replacing someone that was never head coach before. They need to change the whole culture. Um, I don't care if it's offense, defense, whatever, but it's gotta be an experienced head coach. So I, I don't think you can even look at any coordinators as, as good as they are, find the best three coordinators in the country. I don't think you can hire them uh, this time around. Let's see. This is uh, from Otis. Food for thought. I really don't, I'm not sure I'm going to understand this, but I'll read it to you, what, what he's saying here. I'm a new fantasy head coach for the Pac-12. Your fantasy head coach. Okay. After watching Oregon and Utah both go 8-1, and one, and SC and UCLA both have 4-5 and five losses, convince me to go all out in coaching. Not exactly sure what you're meaning there. Maybe the importance of coaching. Uh, Otis, maybe if you want to send me a translation or something, that would be nice. Um, if you're a fantasy head coach in the Pac-12, so I would say Utah is a little lighter on the talent side. They're very heavy on the development side. Um, they've bring in a lot of guys that are going to be better. You know, uh, there's their sophomores and junior years and certainly as seniors, they have amazing line play. They do a great job developing that. They had to replace a lot of guys in the offensive line this year. And I think they've Coming to their own, guys like Tyler Huntley, Zach Moss. Um, you know, you got some skill guys, but not to the level, but they're not recruiting to the level that Oregon is. And I think you're starting to see some of that. 
development there. But, you know, Utah's got this proven system, I think, that works. On the Oregon side, they're definitely more, that's more of a USC model where you're bringing in crap loads of great players and hope that they uh, they play well together. So sort of both, I would say, are different systems. Um, but yeah, you got to, if you're coaching is very important. So you got to be able to develop the guys and a place like USC, you can recruit because it's fertile recruiting grounds and everyone, you know, people want to play there. So, but you got to have the coaching side too. And now USC's not only doesn't have the coaching side, as far as development stuff goes, you're also are screwing it up on the recruiting side, ranked 11th in the PAC 12, only ahead of Utah, by the way, which is interesting, but, um, you know, Utah doesn't recruit that way. USC to, to be good has to recruit at the top level. And then you can regress a little bit on the other stuff. But if USC is not bringing in those top players, the chances of USC uh, succeeding uh, go way, way down. All right, let's uh, play a voicemail for you. Hi, this is Dr. T. And Dr. T is wondering, why be worried about Urban Meyer's baggage when our athletic department has the worst baggage in the country by far? several federal indictments, maybe more to come. So why should we worry? Maybe Urban Meyer thinks we have too much baggage for him. Thank you. Hey, that's a really good question, Doc. Um, I would say, yeah. I mean, USC's athletic department does have a lot of baggage. Um, But to me, because of all the baggage in the athletic department, you've sort of painted yourself in a corner that you have to go get an Urban Meyer. You got to fix this now. I think they did a good job get identifying someone that could be a great athletic director. Just doing the basics of getting someone that's been an AD before. Um, it's an outsider. All those things. You know, doesn't know the fight song. He knows some of the words of the fight song, but he's not like a you know. He didn't have it ingrained in his head. Yes, I think that's a that's a win. And I think on the the coaching side, because of all the screw ups of the past decade, you almost leave yourself no choice but to go after that home run. And that certainly is urban Meyer. So um, yeah. And I don't think a guy like urban Meyer is going to worry about the athletic department's baggage because he knows it's a sleeping giant. It is. It's a sleeping giant. And you as a competent, uh, you know, excellent in his case, head coach know that you can wake the sleeping giant fairly easily. And you know that the competition around that sleeping giant isn't great. You can, you know, turn Florida into a national power, but you're still got national powers all around you in the SEC. At, at Ohio State, not so much. I mean, you still have to contend with the Michigans of the world and the and the Penn States of the world. But it was the other teams that were, were would beat him more. He never he never lost to Michigan. Um, so I feel like this is a situation where, yeah, Oregon looks good now, Utah looks good now. But if you get to USC and you flex your muscles. It doesn't matter what the other programs do. So I think he knows that he's an A. He's an alpha. Alphas know that. Alphas can look at a situation that looks like crap. If you're like a super chef and you look at this this restaurant that's struggling and you know it can be amazing, you're not worried that, oh, they're struggling right now. There's uh, cockroaches and rats in there. You know you could go in there and take over and crush it. Then that doesn't worry. It doesn't matter that right now there's cockroaches there because you look at the situation, and go, it's the perfect location. It was the hottest restaurant in the, the city five years ago. I can re- I can bring this back instantly. I know what to do. That's the kind of personality that Urban Meyer has, and he would look at USC and go, dude, if I want to go win another national championship, I could go to Florida State. I'm dealing with Clemson. If if I go to USC. I mean, no one's making the playoffs in the Pac-12, and USC's down. No one's taking advantage of it. Now you bring USC back up, and you just crush everybody. And I think that's way a guy like Urban Meyer, an alpha personality, would look at that. Uh, this is a text message. Uh, great show. Thank you. Question. Uh, has anyone ever asked Coach Helton about why recruiting has dropped off so dramatically? Love your podcast. I did leave a name, but uh, thanks for the text. Um, so here's the thing. When you talk to coaches about this kind of stuff, they're not allowed to talk about specifics. And what we would get, and I, we got some of this last year when USC signed a lot more three stars, is you know it's more about their evaluation. They're not worried about the recruiting rankings and blah 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 blah. They couldn't, you know, he couldn't answer any questions about Jackie Ari, the the legacy tight end that decommitted and and just you know 
unfathomable guys that would never decommit or decommitting now. And USC's ranked 77th in the in the country as far as recruiting goes, 11th in the Pac-12, as I mentioned. But they can't answer those kind of questions specifically. And I think everybody knows the answer is because you have a lame duck coaching staff, and everybody knows it. The recruits know it. You know, there no one's talking about it. Like the coaches aren't saying, "Yeah, we only got a few weeks, and then we're out of here." Um, and and the play and the the prospects aren't saying that when we interview them, but they're saying that with, I don't want to commit to USC. Uh, I'm decommitting from USC. So that's how they're saying it. And that's just kind of the way, uh, the way it is. So we're not going to be able to get answers like that. Unfortunately, sorry about that, but um, you know, we should have our answers here in a couple of weeks. All right. This one is long Mike in Vegas. Um, Mike, you know, my voice is going, but I'm going to do it anyway. I'll read it for you. Where uh, is USC's future? He says, Ryan Abraham. I don't get the opportunity to sit down and reach out to the show, but I try to catch as much as I can on iHeartRadio. I think, yeah, we're definitely on that platform now. So, yeah, all the different platforms out there we should be on. So thanks for that. I wanted to let you know that I appreciate the hard work you put into creating a show dedicated to USC. Well, thanks. The question I have for you is, where is USC's future? I know that sounds moronic, but after watching the Trojans get crushed by Oregon and seeing Utah and Oregon play so high in the college football playoff, I started to ask myself, where does USC go from here? I don't believe it's simply a fix by hiring a high-profile coach like Urban Meyer. I started looking around, and I believe USC is facing the same problem I faced after leaving school at USC. I looked around and realized I couldn't afford to make it uh, in SoCal, so I left for Vegas. I'm not saying that that a USC head coach can't afford living in Southern California. His problems will never be what mine were. But I think his staff is closer to facing the same hurdles I faced after leaving school. I'm aware that USC is a private institution and that they have a program to provide interest-free loans to coaches. But last time I checked, a three-bedroom house in Torrance is going for over 800 grand. That's Torrance, not Manhattan Beach. It's like that all across LA. How far is a coach willing to commute to campus? I guess my point is that I worry USC will never have the strength and conditioning coaches it used to. No position coaches, no coordinators. USC's falling behind in their development of the stars they recruit, and I think it's based around the coaches. Coaches get a lot more for eight hundred thousand in Oregon's uh, in the Oregon's of the world. I'm afraid this USC deficit is going to get worse. I believe uh, that's why so many players are leaving Southern California and going to places like Clemson. They know they're not going to get coached up at a position level. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's certain boosters who stuck their nose in and prevented coaches like Chris Peterson from coming and has nothing to do with the economics of it. Still, I would like your take on it. Am I off my rocker? Is the situation looking worse from a distance? If anybody knows, I figured it'd be you. Even if, uh, even if not, I, even if I think, I think he means, even if I don't think it would be interesting to get your take on it. Uh, thanks, Mike in Vegas, former Edinburgh uh, grad student. All right, Mike. Thanks for the uh, long email, but no, I don't. I think that's an, uh, certainly an issue. That cost of living is higher. It's it's significantly higher. But you know, even USC's current strength and conditioning coach was living in Redondo Beach. I mean, he was there because he likes it. It was working for in the private industry, and USC hired him away. Um, and he found. I think he's got a pretty good staff he's put together. But yeah, I would say it can be an issue. But when you get a guy like Urban Meyer everything's going to change. Like you can't think small, like yes, he's going to cost more money. Yes. His assistants will cost more money, but he's going to jack up the revenue tremendously. And you know, that's, what's going to be good. You forget that like hiring good people, you're, there's a reason you do that. Cause you get way better results. The season tickets will go up. The donations will go up. USC will win again. USC will crush people again. And all of that comes into play. And then you're like, Oh, now we're like making a bunch of money and now it doesn't, it's not, we can expand the athletic department. We can do other things because you've actually made good choices. USC hasn't made good choices at the highest levels. They've made terrible choices with athletic director, with head coaches. And this is what happens. Yes. They're struggling now. They can't fill the Coliseum. They reduced the seats and they still can't get close to filling it. But because those are all the bad decisions that were made, you go back to making good decisions sound decisions, competent decisions, and everything turns around. So, yeah, I I think that can be an issue, but it's a lot different than a grad student, you know, graduating and trying to find a job. I I get it. 
That's why you want to move to Vegas. But then, you know, if you're hiring someone that's making uh, 125 grand a year, no, he's not going to buy a house right out of the gate in LA. You just can't do it, which is crazy. You think, you know, six figure income is really good. That's like a lower level assistant or something. Um, but they can rent a, you know, three bedroom place in Redondo Beach or Hermosa or Manor or something, or, you know, live on the West side. Like you can still do that and be fine and pay like three grand a month or something in rent, which kind of sucks, but you can afford that when you're making 125 grand, you're not just not buying a house though. So, but if you're the, you know, your defensive coordinator is making a million dollars a year, yeah, he can do what he wants, but for certainly it's going to be an adjustment, but you also get to live in Los Angeles. You get to live in Manhattan beach, which a lot of people want to do. So there's a, there's a trade-off there, but I don't think, I think the, the reason you couldn't get good coaches, assistant coaches before isn't because the cost of living. It's because you didn't hire good head coaches. You didn't hire good athletic directors. And this is the situation that you're in. They, look at the staff right now. Who's a head coach on the staff? Nobody. There's nobody that's a head coach on the staff. So, you know, that that's the biggest issue, not the cost of living in Los Angeles. All right, we got uh, one last voicemail and then one other question for you. Curtis from Moreno Valley. I want to run this past everybody. Why don't we just hire Urban Meyer and keep Clay Helton on as a quarterback coach? Remember, he recruited Sam Darnold, first-round draft pick. He also recruited and had the guy who uh, went to Alabama. He was a dual threat, too. He Clay wants a, a fast quarterback that can throw the ball, too. So and he does tours of all the academics for the the families. You know everybody loves him. I bet he would do it. He he wouldn't care as long as he could stay involved with these kids' lives and they could stay involved with him. That father figure, you know, under Urban Meyer, of course. But let him handle the stuff that that he handles. He can do quarterbacks. Curtis from Moreno Valley. Curtis, you are a very popular caller, by the way, and uh, everyone loves you, which is great. We love the positive takes. This may be your worst ever um, for a number of reasons. One, well, first, Urban Meyer, you're hiring him, yes, 100%. So just kind of throw that out there, like, why don't you just go out and hire Urban Meyer? Then where it gets off track is, and you keep Clay Helton as your quarterback coach. To me, that's more of you trying to justify some of the positivity you've had about Clay Helton and his staff and find some positive things and have Urban Meyer keep him on. It makes no sense for a number of reasons. Uh, one, what I don't know what evidence you have that he's been a really good quarterback coach, um, for just for one thing. But if you're, you're taking over a historic program like this, there's really no reason to keep the guy who was running it before, the guy that got fired, who, you know, if this is Urban Meyer gets hired, it's because Clay Helton got fired. Why would you want to keep that person on staff? Uh, if USC really liked him and wanted to put him in the athletic department or something, that I mean, I guess you could look at that, but that makes absolutely no sense to keep Clay Helton on. And the one thing you don't want to do, and this is the kind of USC mentality curse that you're using here, when USC would hire like mediocre head coaches, they were like, well, let's hire this guy, but keep these people from the staff and put it together. No, like... When you go hire an ace, when you go hire an alpha, when you go hire the big dog, like UCLA didn't hire Chip Kelly, who was the big dog at the time, and go, here, and we want you to keep all these people on your staff. You don't do that. You say, Urban Meyer, you come in, do what you want. If Urban Meyer, for some reason, wanted to keep Clay Helton on staff, fine. Like He would never do that, but you can't saddle someone like that with your leftover baggage. You just can't do it. Like there's no point of getting urban Meyer. If you're going to say, well, I want you to have Clay Helton and Graham Harrell and uh, Greg Burns and all those guys on the staff. Like, no, you let him do his thing. You're going to go back to the whole, the, you know, the chef thing, the chef that's going to take over the restaurant and remake it. You don't say, okay, chef, do whatever you want, except here's all your sous chefs. And we want this wait staff. And we don't want you to change the menu, change the menu. And you can't remodel. Like, no, like that's not, then you're, you're handcuffing the guy. You hire Urban Meyer to come in and just take over and do everything differently. Install his 
culture. That's what you hire Urban Meyer to do. Listen to him on those other podcasts. He's got like a PhD in football culture. You don't say, here, Urban, come in, and here's how we want you to do things. Like, no. No, Curtis, I'm sorry. I love your positivity a lot of times. You like try to find the positive spin. This is a huge, huge miss. All right, one last one. This is from Ron in South Georgia. He said, it's not a normal question. I'm actually going to submit this to the uh, Family Feud people, but I want to read it for you guys here. Hey, gang, I enjoy the show and the coverage and analysis of the team is spot on. I won't be negative about the team, though I'm extremely disappointed with the football program like everyone else. I shouldn't uh, have sent this. He said, I should have sent this in after the Utah game, so the timing would be better. Um, but my question for everyone is, doesn't Matt Fink look like Ryan Abraham? A younger version, maybe. No offense, Ryan. Or even son. As a doppelganger myself, uh, just about anyone I met says, I remind, I remind her, look like someone they know. Uh, let me know what you think. As always, fight on Ron in Georgia. Thanks, Ron. So I did send this into the Family Feud podcast. So listen to them. I'll let them say, uh, I didn't really see myself looking like Matt Fink, but maybe um, I get, I've had Seinfeld. I've had like Adam Sandler stuff. People say I look like them. Uh, if you remember Cameron from uh, the uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, uh, Ferris's best friend, the dude wearing the um, Detroit, uh, was it the, is it Detroit hockey jersey? So yeah, I've got th those before. I don't know, maybe uh, I'm an older Matt Fink. You know, I'm like double his age, at least a little more than that. So um, interesting. But thank you. Uh, thank you for that. All right. So, yeah. So listen to the Family Feud podcast. That should come out um, Thursday or Friday. And then you can uh, listen to what they say. We'll let them say, you know, let the, they're millennials. They're closer to Matt's age. And they can say, oh, my God, that's terrible. Or, oh, I see it. All right. Well, thank you for all the questions. Uh, thanks to Jackson Moore. Really good show. Uh only two games left, which is absolutely crazy. Don't worry, USC fans. I my sense is I'm usually pretty good with uh, you know, the bullcrap detector. My sense is things are gonna get better. I think there's people in the athletic department that know there's been a lot of mistakes. There's some really good people that work there. The people I've talked to, they want it to get better too. Um, so this is uh there's steps going in that right direction. Can USC follow up and, and follow through and make those tough choices and do it? I kind of, you know, I'm a little more optimistic now. I kind of think they can. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that's, if not, that's setting, setting up for failure, I guess. But I kind of feel a lot more optimistic than I than I was before. All right, that's going to wrap it up. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Parastyle Podcast. Hope you enjoyed the show, and we will talk to you next time. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in, these deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details.